don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This week on Social Minds. TV and YouTube really have a, a very beneficial relationship to each other. After about two years of discussions, we are so happy to be able to tell you that we are joined this week by YouTube's Roya Zaytuni, who is their culture and trends lead. And that means she's the best person to ask about what is popular right now and why. Yes, YouTube's reach extends billions and the platform's influence is felt all around the world. But what sort of content makes it onto the coveted trending tab and what can brands learn from what appears on there? We spoke with Roya about not caring as much about the production quality of your content, how brands can tap into major viral trends and patterns like K-pop, and post-lockdown, what content is most popular on YouTube now? Never has niche been more mainstream, and it's true. Yeah. Like What you think is your little thing, actually you find that you're part of a community. All this and more, coming up. What can YouTube's trending tab teach us about culture? So great question. First, thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. So it's it's a tough one because the trending tab is a fascinating place for the reason that it is the only part of YouTube that is not personalized. So it is completely aggregated. It reflects what is um, really popular in your country. And there's everything else on YouTube, whatever experience you have. Oh, sorry, that's my builder starting now as well. Sorry, Theo. Um, Yeah, it's completely personalized. So from that perspective, it's really fascinating. What makes it a little bit tricky is that the trending tab actually has to reflect like a broad spectrum of content, but it has to also be broadly appealing. So you tend to, on the trending tab, don't as much get the kind of quirky, interesting, fascinating niche things that pop pop up on YouTube that I love. You tend to get the more mainstream things. But that said, when you look at the trending tab, which I was doing earlier today, it's a really good reflection of what's popular really in the world, but particularly in your country, of course. So today, um, we've got loads of football content, of course, because sports content is huge on YouTube, but particularly from a trending perspective, because everybody wants like the latest news quickly. You've got music, of course, there's absolutely tons of it. There's comedy, you've got creators talking about, you know, daily life. So you get a real reflection of a window onto the world, I suppose. But what I think for me is really interesting about the culture that you see on, on YouTube generally, but also on the trending tab, unlike most other culture, culture in inverted commas that you see around the world is this is completely people powered. So when you talk about, I don't know, the culture, the music scene on the radio or big contributions to culture in terms of TV or Netflix series and everything, it's totally true. They, they obviously have a huge impact on culture, but there are editors and producers who are deciding what it is that people should watch and what it is that people mm-hmm. should listen to. Whereas on YouTube, because of the like complete democratization of, of talent, anyone to a great degree can put what they want on there and whatever people enjoy becomes popular you see a very very different reflection as as on a small scale example on the trending tab today in the uk if you look at the the songs there you've got um a grime artist massive grime is huge it's the most popular musical genre on on youtube in the uk but you don't get grime played very often on on mainstream radio and you've got k-pop band again k-pop absolutely huge probably wouldn't have been huge on a global scale in fact undoubtedly it wouldn't have been huge on a global, global scale if it weren't for youtube because no like radio 
person ever would have said, oh, yeah, let's let's play a song in a foreign language by a guy. If you think Gang- Gangnam Style was a breakthrough K-pop song, you know, it's, it's a song by a, a middle aged chubby guy singing about a social divide in a in a suburb in Korea. But Roy, I'll focus in, in on that. that. I just want to, I just want to focus in on that a second to say clearly culture on YouTube influences culture everywhere else. Is there something to be said for these sort of music uh, labels and radio play and, and being a lot savvier by you know, connecting with the culture tab more with, with, with the trending tab instead of they, they seem like they work in silos sometimes. Definitely. I mean, definitely. Of course, I, I would say that because I, I think they should be paying more attention to it to YouTube. But for the, for the protection of their own industry, I think it would make a lot of sense to, to be much closer to what people are actually enjoying because there's this, I understand it, of course, but this kind of legacy thing of us assuming or the industry assuming that they understand people's tastes which I'm not saying they don't, but I don't think they realize the breadth of people's tastes. And in, in many ways, I mean, music industry, actually film industry, TV industry, all of them could learn a lot from seeing what actually people really engage with. Because when people are given free choice, um, some of the things that are the most popular are, are very different from what old school music moguls might think. Um, as an as a example of this, staying with the K-pop theme, when we look at the biggest songs that have um, happened in the last year in terms of um, premieres on YouTube, so where fans are tuned in ready for, for a song to drop, um, you would rightly assume that the, these songs would be made by, I don't know, Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Katy Perry, I don't know. But actually, when we looked at them, fascinatingly, the biggest premieres that we've had have been K-pop stars. And mm-hmm. music music record labels didn't, didn't of course they realise now that K-pop is massive, but it took a long time. Gangnam Style mm-hmm. was years ago now. And so you can learn a lot from, from seeing what, you know, people power culture is. I mean, Roya, you mentioned before that because obviously YouTube's trending tab is, uh, I mean, I write in saying it's all algorithmically sorted. So it is just a reflection on, you know, what everyone else is enjoying and a reflection of what is truly popular. But sort of in that in that vein, is it then about the more niche markets or is it about mass appeal? Because, I mean, by definition, it is the things that are appealing to the masses, but then you think, you know, music genres like K-pop, you would think are a bit more niche. So what, what, what side, I guess, does uh, the trending page fall on in terms of what kind of stuff we see the most? So a little bit of both. You tend to get, like I said at the beginning, like really mainstream themes kind of covered off, but then you do get these these lovely little bubbles of, of niche stuff. As, mm. as an example, you guys probably saw this, this video that has been shared really widely of these um, these twins who I love who watch they, they, well they listen to music and watch the video on YouTube for the first time of massive songs so huge songs that they've never heard of before and, and they've never listened to and you they've got this channel where the whole premise of the channel is that they just watch watch this happen and you see their live reaction to, to the moment mm. and uh, and it's it's, it's kind of weird like not much much really happens apart from from the emotion on their faces and they pause the videos and they chat a little bit about oh my god that was an amazing like riff on this other song or oh my god did you hear the beat drop then and oh wow that drum solo or oh that note that they reached whatever not that much happens but it's 
such engaging content. And the, the video that was shared um, really widely last week of them was of them listening to Phil Collins in the air tonight for the first time. And if you haven't seen it, I urge you to watch it because it's like a super emotional journey that you're taking on. And it's this kind of content that is you know, quite unpredictable. It's it's people listening to songs that aren't, that, that they were part of popular culture before, but no one's listened to them for quite a while. As in, then they've fallen out of regular airplay, so to speak. And and seeing somebody enjoy them for the first time again is, is just such a lovely experience. And yeah. that, for example, um, was, was trending. And they've trended almost every day with other songs that they've listened to, like Dolly Parton's Jolene, um, like Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. And like all these songs that for a lot of us are so familiar, but for these two young guys, mm. um, they're really not. I mean, it's the kind of thing, isn't it, that you wouldn't really find... Um, if it weren't for the trending page. But I guess, obviously, with like this podcast and our audience in mind, outside of music as well, in terms of what's on the trending page, why do you think it's important for brands, first of all, to understand what people are watching and then how they can you know, use that knowledge um, in their own strategies? Well, I think it's... I mean, amazingly valuable for for brands because it's like a, a free kind of consumer survey, if you if you want, like they're, mm. they're going out into the whole population and seeing what it is that people care about, and it's very hard to get that kind of research. And you know, sitting in your own bubble of your own brand and and trying to understand what it is that you think your customers want is very different from from seeing what the reality is. The trending tab is useful for that, but also just doing some analytics on your own content on the platform is is fascinating like I can remember working with a fashion brand I'm not going to name but a fashion brand that um this is years ago before I had this job but when I used to work more with clients and when I met them they told me who their audience was like who bought their stuff who was interested in it and in their minds their audience was this really young cool like group of of people and actually when we started looking at who was engaging with their content and the kind of analytics on what type of content they were were making what kind of ads they were making that people particularly enjoyed etc and the picture was really different and and so I think sometimes brands don't necessarily want to recognize how the world has changed or or what the reality of their brand is but it's it's worth it because it's very very important you can make stuff and you can try and speak to your customers aspirationally like you would like to be considered and and again with with public taste sometimes people deride youtube because they're like oh yeah but it's just kind of silly stuff on there that that isn't high production value etc it's just random ugc videos which isn't the case at all but even even if it were just ugc content the fact that millions and millions of people are loving that content Mm. is important for brands to understand what is it about that content that people are really enjoying why why is it working well this is what i wanted to ask you as well roya because seemingly the first thing a lot of brands will do is they'll go on youtube and i'll see what content's performing and their default stance will be to try and imitate that now, mm. I want to know on YouTube, what is the kind of reaction when that happens? Because we always throw around the word authenticity and seemingly yeah. to audiences who are quite niche, quite engaged, they're probably just saying, oh, you're just a brand trying to copy what I like because, you know, you think you can sell more of X product. So what is the golden strategy in that sense? It's really hard, I'd say, because you're absolutely right that authenticity is so important for 
everyone. I mean, buyers' audiences are very um, savvy and cynical. Now we've got such a, a wealth of choice of everything that we want to consume that people are really discerning about what it is that they, they choose to spend their time with. So authenticity really matters. And actually, I'd say on a platform like YouTube, it matters all the more. When people aren't authentic, aren't true to themselves, people see through it very, very quickly. To the point where there's been like interesting analyses done, and this is not to knock any other platform or any other kind of culture, but there, there's some interesting analyses done on, on when people compare like behavior on Instagram, for example, and, and YouTube. And actually, Instagram is great for, for what people want to use it for, of course, but there is a very different understanding of how people use YouTube in that if you try and portray yourself in a way that it doesn't reflect reality, people sniff it out really fast. And so mm. it's totally true that that presents a really challenging position for brands because they don't want to be seen to just jumping, be jumping on a bandwagon. So as an example, I don't know if you're um, familiar with a, a YouTube creator from the US um, called Emma Chamberlain, but she's had a phenomenal growth um, over the last, not that long, actually, over the last couple of years or so. And her content is very, very kind of raw and relatable. She almost edits in her mistakes, even though she's really established now. She still has a very informal style, etc. She burps on videos. She shows herself <laughs> looking, you know, as she says, terrible. I think she looks fine. But when she's just woken up, her hair undone, no makeup on, like really the kind of anti-Instagram type of, of approach but her audience have really really loved it and what's been interesting to see there are countless examples like that but the reason why I call her out is actually she was um, chosen to to be the kind of muse and face of I think it was Louis Vuitton which is a, a really like old school snooty French fashion house mm. the reputation which has been around for over a hundred years and and very much you'd imagine the antithesis of, of what she represents but actually they were like we we need to understand that that the world is different now yeah we've seen a lot of luxury brands um, especially in the fashion space taking that approach recently just from our own data uh, and seeing that they are almost like among the first to change so rapidly or maybe it's like more noticeable on them because it would be like such a dramatic change for them but I, th I think you made such a good point earlier Roya about like YouTube trends being able to show brands what their audience actually likes as opposed to you know how they've been wanting to be seen all these years and it can be quite um, a difference. I think one thing that has obviously really challenged brands to sort of reevaluate what they think they know and what their audience needs has obviously been uh, the small matter of the recent pandemic and I know you sent through some data I was wondering if you could enlighten us a bit on how people's needs have changed in the pandemic and what sort of content is popular now because of that? Yeah, of course. So I've been working on YouTube for a long time now. And the last six months have probably been the most eye-opening in, in some ways because mm. we're very used to, particularly our team, because that is by its very nature what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to watch YouTube, try and understand it and help other people understand it too. And so normally we spend a lot of our time dealing with it's kind of really, really fascinating nascent trends that are emerging all across the world which tend to be you know, quite quirky or wacky or whatever like YouTube is a real place for, for novelty 
in many ways. And actually, what we've really seen since the pandemic hit is that things have really shifted. And actually, the content that people are really engaging with has been more kind of old school, more back to basics, answering human needs. And so we started to see to the point where actually we, we did research and put all these graphs, like overlaid graphs of different locations around the world. And every single graph followed the same pattern, which was amazing across mm. the world. We've never had this before, where we started to see, and for example, things like you know, recipes really suddenly growing, like food's always been really big on the platform. But all of a sudden, people were at home, they had time on their hands, they wanted to learn new things, they were um, faced with the challenge of actually having limited things in their um, you know, fridge or their cupboard sometimes, and you have to feed yourself. Mm. And so um, suddenly we saw people really looking for like recipe content in the same way as people wanted to stay fit and healthy, even though they weren't allowed to stay outside uh, or go outside. And so um, we saw this huge emergence of sports related content but you know mm-hmm. no equipment type sports related or fitness related content you know joe wicks for example everybody knows that story it is amazing but a lot of people don't realize quite how big the story is in that he trended every single day that he he uploaded a, a piece of content like every day he was on the trending tab it's impressive it's incredible when you look at the biggest live streams in the uk since march he is the, the top 20 like he's he's all of them one one stat that really jumped out to me from your research, Roy, was the views of with me videos grew by 600%. And that's like, like you pointed out earlier, that's like the same by country as well. So it's like very united. I mean, like it reminds me of, you know, normally you go to YouTube and there's a lot of like how-to videos on there and it's a little bit like that. So like with the with me videos, what sort of stuff are we seeing? Is it like, you know, I'm used to like get ready with me videos, but does it follow other things as well? So it has. So with me has been like a format that's been pretty popular on on YouTube for a while, but it suddenly really came into its own on, under the pandemic, partly because of this need that people have to connect. And so when everyone was very isolated, there was definitely this craving of a shared experience. And mm. so lots of people were watching these videos, or lots of people were making videos. We do analysis on change in, in user behavior, but also in content creation. And on both sides, we saw people either really jumping on this with me moment by making their content, but also, yeah, people were watching it in huge numbers as well and it was from everything you're right like get ready with me videos already super popular but then we saw this lovely evolution of the popularity of, of types of video like get ready with me to go nowhere because people <laughs> still wanted to, to have the experience but they knew that they couldn't go out and um, but so you had those kind of things but then you also had and again these these have always had their place on the platform but suddenly they became even more popular of things like clean with me videos so mm-hmm. under under lockdown or even under social distancing when people have so much more time at home a lot of people have started to to spend a lot more time cleaning and decluttering and yeah. and, and disinfecting exactly and disinfecting <laughs> exactly and so there was this real a combination of sometimes people watching these videos for inspiration because they they want to learn how to do things better and there's you know, this whole genre that we call like strangely satisfying videos where people love to watch transformations and so it can be from anything like handiwork where you see somebody build something from start to finish but clean with me videos if I've really scratched that itch where people get to see the state of something and see how the the finished product and how much better it is Mm -hmm. um so yeah there's definitely been I think a really nice 
role that YouTube can play in helping people get through their feelings of isolation. And mental health is a struggle for everyone, but it's definitely something that I feel like the platform has been able to have a small role in in helping people um, because this kind of situation is really, really difficult for everyone. And actually the the way that people are able to talk really openly on on a platform like YouTube and, you know, of course you get programs about mental health and depression, things on, on mainstream TV, but you can get so many and so many personal experiences of people being, like we said, really authentically true to to what they're going through. And people at home, their audiences are able to watch this and it removes the stigma. It makes people feel like they're not alone. There are whole communities of people supporting each other through Mm -hmm. the platform. And I think it's something that's definitely not going to go away. Now, I was going to ask, are are these trends, are you still seeing these same things continue now? Um, I ask because there'll be brands listening that are maybe interested in um, you know, creating their strategy for the next month or so and thinking what kind of videos should we be making? What kind of stuff is performing the best? Yeah, so it's something that we've been asking ourselves, like what's what's going to happen as countries come out of lockdown and, and political situations change, etc. We're still seeing in a really nice way, actually, it seems that a lot of people who started habits at the, the beginning of the process have kept them up. Like it seems that we have a, speaking for the UK, but actually looking even more broadly around the world, it seems that um, for a lot of people, this sparked a whole interest in in actually home cooking which is something that's quite mm. for a lot of people um a lot of people doing a, again gyms it's going to be hard for gyms to open in a normal way i mean they have but how many people are using them things like that exercising trend is still going to be really big um things like yoga already huge on youtube but mm. more and more people are using youtube to keep calm and to, to actually get through in terms of other things we do see the broad content categories still being popular but we're beginning to return a little bit more to the emergence of different kind of content and actually there being a little bit of a better spread around what is popular rather than these kind of human needs being met but I think it's for me at least hopefully for your audience too but it's really intriguing to see them not only the the themes that have emerged but also the individual channels that have really struck a call with people and to see what brands can learn from them so as an example, there's a channel that I really love, which is a small channel. He hasn't made loads of videos. Um, it's called Mr. Andrew Cotter and is a BBC sports correspondent who couldn't commentate on live sport anymore because there was none. And he decided instead to make videos of his dogs, Oliver Mabel, and to commentate on whatever it was that they were doing as if they were athletes competing with each other. <laughs> and they're really short videos, less than two minutes filmed on his phone probably one take but they're just really nice they really work it's a very like creative way of replicating what's missing isn't it exactly like really really creative and very simple and I think that's something that brands can definitely learn from it doesn't always Mm. have to be really complicated yeah as long as the idea is strong yeah and again this whole production value thing is is a really interesting one because yeah there's a lot of really good content on YouTube that is high production value like there are some amazing documentary channels etc etc that are just brilliant if you look at all the Condé Nast channels they're they're fantastic very very professionally done but 
there's also a lot of space for videos that aren't as professionally made, but are still super, super engaging. And people have different expectations when they're watching YouTube. They're used to people's behavior being a bit scrappier. And so I think that's a good thing for brands. It means um, they can be much more reactive and relevant because if you if you really want to be part of, of what is going on, just like you were saying at the beginning, you don't want to be a brand who jumps on, on a bandwagon and jumps on it too late because then yeah. you lose all credibility. But actually the beauty of, of YouTube is you can make something really, really fast and, and actually be part of the conversation while it's happening and people aren't expecting it to be like beautifully mastered and made. They just want it to be great. And a really good example of this is even if you look on like in terms of journalism. So journalists are used to turning around content very quickly. Of course, that's part of their roles. But channels that you have from people like the, I don't know, New York Times or Washington Post, they create a lot of video content. And these are amazingly established, old school, professional outfits. And yet they've understood that if they want to be part of the moment, they have to make content quickly for, for YouTube. And they do. And so often their content feels a bit scrappy you know, like, oh, wow, this is the Washington Post. But it doesn't matter because, yeah. because they are there and they're part of the conversation and they're adding to it and their audience are really engaging with it. And actually they're finding a whole new set of people who, who are interested in the things that they have to say, which they wouldn't necessarily have through their print journalism. And Roy, and Roy as well on that, because we've spoken about production quality. What about yeah. length? Because to the layman, to somebody who's not so a fan of YouTube, it's usually the case that you go onto YouTube and videos all tend to follow a certain format, a certain length. And, you know, we know that that's uh, for reasons sometimes like uh, for mid-roll ads and, and monetization. Um, for brands, I suppose, who haven't got that concern as much, is there a kind of sweet spot in terms of video length? Can you just post two minute videos and be successful? It really, or? really depends. We're seeing longer and longer form content on the platform doing really well. I think probably a few years ago, people associated YouTube probably with like pretty short snackable clips of which there are still many, many, many. But when, and this will be out of date now, but the last time anyone shared a figure with me, like the average length of video that people were watching was something like 13 minutes, 47 seconds or something like that, which is pretty, pretty long when you think about how much it is music videos when, when they're much shorter and still the average was pretty long. So I think there's no answer to the sweet spot. What I would say is brands have to do what's right. Like there's the there's a lovely thing of actually people don't don't mind if it's a short thing like that example I gave you of the BBC guy under two minutes long, but does an amazing job in that time. Mm. He could have made it much more drawn out, could have made it much fancier, but he didn't need to. That just worked for him. Yet on the other hand, there might be people who who have a lot more to say and feel like they want to do longer and that can still really work too look at like the joe rogan experience podcast and his videos are like over an hour long or like more so long if you look in the uk at the most popular content creators is this group called the sidemen of which one is a guy called ksi now the sidemen is a group of friends who just really get on they're funny they're nice they're relatable they're a bit naughty sometimes some of their videos are a bit you know a bit cheeky but they very funny and they love what they do their content regularly is over an hour long but it is nearly always in the the top three spots on the trending tab mm -hmm. because people will watch it and people will it sort of obliterates the argument that our attention spans have gone out the window doesn't it because it really depends i don't believe that for a second people are constantly saying people have a short attention span it's utter nonsense yeah you have a short attention span if the stuff isn't interesting enough yeah. but you know otherwise if you can get 
people to, to see stuff or to, to have stuff to read that is something that they really care about, then they will put the time in. And yeah. and that's, that's in a way, one of the strengths, I guess, of the platform, because it, if people are choosing, they're actively choosing what it is that they want to watch in terms of there is everything on there. So people can watch for a very long time. Like the average amount of time, I think, according to the latest Ofcom report of people between 25 and 35 was on, on platform daily, was well over an hour. Um, and it was longer than any other media. Roya, with that in mind then, does that sort of poke holes in the theory that, to say, on other platforms, so like Facebook might be a perfect example, where the advice to brands is always get attention in the first three seconds, then follow a completely different story curve where sort of skips and booms happen throughout. Does that poke holes in that theory? Is, is YouTube therefore much more in line with, say, traditional broadcasting? So you, I think it's true that you have to get attention, but I don't think you have to necessarily do it in the way that some people assume that means. Like it's not, you don't have to get your brand immediately at the beginning. You don't have to create some crazy situation at the beginning of a video, but you, you do have to grab people's attention. That is true. But if the content is good enough, the attention will stay. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know I, if people see us as, as similar to traditional broadcasters. I think some people might. It depends on the kind of content that you like to watch. But if, for example, I don't know, the sort of content that I love watching on YouTube is the really kind of nerdy, general knowledge type stuff. So mm. channels like Vox, like Vsauce, like ASAP Science, that kind of thing. And I can watch hours of that stuff. It holds my attention very, very well. So it really depends on who you are as a person, but also the kind of content that you're watching. I couldn't watch, for me, I couldn't watch hours of gaming videos, for example. Mm. But people, Some people were, do. Yeah, but people will happily watch hours and hours. And the verticals that you do watch, Roya, could you see yourself, could you see users being engaged for that long when it is a brand? Because a lot of the examples we see, are obviously, users, they're creators, they're publishers, and we know there's not really a call to action attached. Mm. Or sometimes there isn't in branded content, but can we apply these same lessons to branded content? I think so. I think you see more and more brands understanding that in order to to build that real engagement with their audiences, there doesn't always have to be that sales message. If you see what I mean, they can just be creating great content. And I do think if it's done well, people don't mind at all. As an example, there's a group of creators in the UK who are really, really funny. One's called Chunks. He's great. And he's got some friends and they were asked by Foot Asylum, the shoe shop, to make content for them. So it's on Foot Asylum's like channel and Foot Asylum have understood that they cannot contrive this to be weirdly like, oh, hey, your shoes are great. Like they're just like, yeah. you know what? Just make the content that you do so well already. Just make people enjoy it. We just want the halo effect of being associated with this kind of fun, cool, engaging content. And this channel is doing really, really well. And the same people who would probably buy shoes through Foot Asylum are seeing their brand in a good place, are seeing that they're doing something that's interesting. And it works. So there's that really positive association. It's not possible for all brands, of course, because they might be a little bit more nervous about doing something like that. But that's one way of approaching it. And a reason not to be nervous, isn't it? That it works out so well. 
yeah, in my opinion, it works really well if it's like a, a collaboration where they're working with established YouTube creators already. You have to, in my view, let the creators do what yeah, they want. Yeah, trust that they know. I was just going to say, they get it much better than than most brands do. And so yeah. it's not worth trying to put your own kind of spin on it. No, definitely. I think it comes back to the point we made earlier about like not thinking you know best all the time and being very open to you know new facts that you might not know. Like You might have a shared audience, presumably you do, if you're going to work with them. Um, and they'll probably know things about them that your brand might not. But I was going to say, following on from Theo's earlier question in terms of, you know, when other platforms like Facebook, etc., will often advise brands or encourage brands when they bring out new features or, you know, sort of nudge them towards specific uh, features or formats that they'd quite like them to use for whatever reason. Is there anything like that at the moment that YouTube is asking brands to try? I don't work on the commercial side at all. So I don't have direct conversations really with brands. But as far as my understanding is, it's not that we're saying, you know, yeah, everyone's video should be seven minutes long. And um, you need to have your logo in the very first frame or anything like that. There are are things that brands can definitely learn from the sales side of, of the business. There's, you know, creative playbooks, etc. that you can find for free online that help people understand what kind of content um, can work depending on the kind of brand that you are. But I would say because of the absolute open-mindedness of most people's approach to the platform, they'll, they'll enjoy whatever form it takes. But I'd, I'd say, I mean, in terms of like, ads there's a whole team from youtube to help people make ads that work perform better on youtube so a a team that's called unskippable labs and they do brilliant things of trying to work out exactly what kind of things perform better on the platform so you can from from that perspective but from a content creation perspective it's definitely best to look at things like the creator playbook but to bear in mind that there's so much variety within this stuff i mean from your perspective then let's say like for organic content is there any like advice or specific things that you would suggest if someone said how can we get on the trending page you know what is going to give us our best shot well so something that I think um, brands can learn a lot from is the fact that brands very rarely appear on the trending page so Mm. not that many brands are creating content that people are responding to brilliantly it does happen of course which is great and is it clear to see why when when it does happen so it normally happens when brands are a bit brave so the recent Nike ad I don't know if you guys saw it, but that was on the trending page, for example. That's the most recent example I can think of. It's hard because I don't want to say to all brands, you've got to, you've got to be bold because that's not appropriate for everybody. But actually, when when people do decide to be maybe a bit braver than they, they might be elsewhere, I think it tends to um, work out. Things on, on the trending tab have talkability. Or- yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say, Roya. How much does it feed into relationships with other platforms? Because say that talkability, the Nike advert, for example, was huge on Twitter and people probably then went to find it on YouTube. Yeah, so there, there's a really, unlike what everyone would assume where they think all the platforms dislike each other, I think that's utter nonsense. <laughs> and actually they have a, I think, a beneficial effect on each other. And actually mm. there's for sure a lot of traffic go, goes always in that people might see something on YouTube and then share it on Twitter and, and that's where it really explodes or yeah. Uh, it might be that exactly like you said, some people share something on Twitter and then everyone wants to watch it. Where are you going to see it? You're going to see it on YouTube. So I um, definitely think there's this virtual circle isn't the right term for it, but we are, we are all friends. <laughs> we all benefit each other. You're like the only ones who really get each other. <laughs> yeah. 
Roy, in terms of measuring success then, because social media has a big problem with vanity metrics and you'll get a section of society, be that brands or creators or whoever, will be obsessed with obtaining a certain amount of views, to be honest. Is it not necessarily about that, chasing after those millions and millions of views? Is it better to have 30 people who have watched the end and you've got 100% completion rate rather than 50,000 people who've skipped after two seconds? So it really depends on what your ambition as a brand is if it's just reach and you just want people to to see and have some kind of recall of, of having seen your brand name then you might want those really high view rates but actually it depends if you're trying to build a deeper connection with your audience then then I would argue that it's it's better to have fewer people watching but watching the whole of it like you said I think in terms of vanity metrics it's quite interesting that on YouTube you actually have to have watched a really decent amount of something in order for it to count as a view and so it's unlike on other platforms where actually that point where something is considered a view happens much much earlier something isn't counted as a view if and this a lot of people don't know people think oh well you know people can just run something as an ad and that's why it has loads and loads of views yes fine but only if people have chosen to watch that ad Mm. so that that amount of views will be if people didn't press the skip button and they actually watched a decent amount of that video or they sort it out themselves and they watched it so you can't just buy views so to speak and so I don't know I think vanity metrics is a really interesting one actually we've been talking about it quite a lot internally because you're right people are kind of obsessed (laughs) obsessed with them and yeah it can be quite tricky because you get these fan armies on on different platforms where no matter what a brand does people are going to love it or no matter what a brand does people are going to hate it and sometimes these metrics aren't actually reflective of reality it's interesting I think a lot of different platforms are, are looking at these sorts of things because if really they're, they're all relatively new in terms of, of media. You know, YouTube's been around for 15 years, yes, but it's evolved a lot in that time. And actually, um, so many changes have happened for the better, some would say for the worse. It, it depends on your viewpoint. But we're learning all the time. I mean, all mm. the time. And so... I'd be interested to talk a little bit about that evolution in terms of, we've touched on it slightly, but its relationship to traditional TV broadcasting. Because, I mean, like, like you said earlier, everyone assumes that all social platforms hate each other a lot of people assume that between like media like the competition among the media as well it's sort of like facebook against the news and youtube against tv i mean i guess i'm curious to know if you guys internally see it that way or if there is you know a bit more of a nuanced relationship at play definitely a more nuanced relationship again i don't want people to think i'm away with the fairies but i do think actually again like i said with the all the social media platforms how we all help each other i actually think tv and youtube really have a a very beneficial relationship to each other um in terms of actually yes our time is finite and if you're watching stuff on youtube it probably means that you're not watching stuff on tv but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because you might be watching a halo content around it on youtube where the networks have their own channels i know we mentioned it before but things like late night and you know even like trailers and stuff but like segments oh absolutely and when you you look at so many popular tv series the amazing and unsurprising popularity of their spin-off content on YouTube is so interesting to watch. 
And it's not just in terms of the official stuff, because as you said, lots of TV channels have their their official channels on YouTube as well, which is a relatively new thing because back in the day, people were, those same TV stations were like, oh no, this is terrible. We need to shut it down. Yeah. None of our content should be on YouTube. But they realized that actually that helps them find huge new audiences and helps build that kind of affinity with their own audience. But it's not just the official stuff. It's all the unofficial stuff of people discussing the program, React videos, people creating like cinematography lesson videos of how I watched a fascinating one on how they do the cinematography for Game of Thrones, for example. I like mm-hmm. Game of Thrones as an example, which you know, has been off for, for a while now. But when we looked at that phenomenon of the amount of content that was created just around that series on the platform is incredible. Mm, it's like complimentary bonus content, isn't it? Absolutely. And that for a brand or for a series is golden. Like you, yeah. you want people to be engaging with your content. Of course you do. And to be building these layers of brand love or, or series level yeah, or whatever it is. I think like in, in relation to the like production value, like what like we've noticed over the last few years especially is YouTube videos are getting more professional in their production and starting to look a bit more like TV in that retrospect. And TV shows are getting a little bit more like YouTube in terms of the content, I'd say. So things like segments where they're like doing like challenges and things like that. I mean, if we could cast our eyes maybe a few years into the future, how do you see that playing out? Because they're sort of swapping and like even talent is is swapping over. Although like celebrities like Will Smith don't, still don't get as many subs as like Logan Paul. Yeah, which is a really interesting thing in it itself, right? Like I think a lot of celebrities, for example, assume that when they make the jump over to YouTube, they'll just have a massive audience. Same with a lot of brands. Like, I'm huge. You know, I don't have to make that much effort. People love me anyway. And that's not true. You actually have to make an effort on the platform. Um, I think you're right that they're they're getting probably closer together. Yes, you do get these really phenomenally, impressively made pieces of content now that on, on the platform that are made for platform, which I think is amazing. Like there was a channel um, that just passed a million subs the other day called B1M, which is an architecture and construction channel. And it's amazing. Like this is this channel has been going for a little while. We actually named it as one of our creator on the rise channels a, a couple of years ago, and now it's just grown amazingly. And their production value is off the charts. Like it's so so good. But I would say, and and yes, you you look at things like BBC Three. A lot of their content is going much closer to the sort of stuff you'd expect to see on on YouTube. And so, I do you think they're getting closer? I think there will always be a big place on YouTube for whatever it is, whether that's low production value stuff or high production value stuff. I think it's not going to be the case that one day there will just be only fancy things on the platform. And nor would I ever want that to be the case. Um, You know, as a funny, weird example of something that's really popular. So we've started looking into these channels, which are just personal channels of people uploading content of from their home videos, from their like video cameras from the 1980s, for example. And YouTube's acting as this like time capsule for showing what life used to be like. And because these are home videos, the production value is, of course, really poor. And they're from the 1980s, so the, the technology wasn't great back then either. But there's such nostalgia attached to that that people are watching this kind of content and, and really loving it. As, as another example, which is maybe slightly less weird, one of the trends we saw emerging under lockdown was this channel called Virtual Pub Quiz, where this guy, Jay, who used to run a pub and then lockdown 
lockdown happened and he decided, okay, he wanted to connect with people somehow. So he started a channel on YouTube where he would run a pub quiz. And I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying the production value isn't very high, but people have really loved it. It trends every single time he does one of these pub quizzes. And it's kind of interesting for me because A, it's a great example of low production value stuff working fine. Um, But B, it's also quite funny given the fact that pubs have all been closing at a rapid rate for the last few years, which is really sad. Pub quizzes aren't such a thing anymore. And yet people are coming to YouTube for this collective moment that is like steeped in nostalgia and Mm -hmm. connected to people again and to enjoy something that maybe reminds them of of the comforting, familiar world that they used to live in. You know, and and that's a new channel that's only been around since March and it's still doing really, really well. Yeah, definitely. I think the nostalgia part you've touched on is really important because, you know, I was mentioning like what happens if, if they get like two similar YouTube and TV, it's then like, what's the differentiation? But I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's a sort of like backlog of, of uploads where it's almost, you know, you can find anything you want to find. Yeah. Roy, as a final point, so these are all sort of seemingly content trends that kind of you guys and other people probably saw coming out of nowhere. I mean, brands and marketers are always very, very interested with trend spotting. In what way can you use the uh, trending tab to spot new trends? Because seemingly by the time they're already on the trending tab, by the time a brand jumps on that, it's too late. So how can you use that as a kind of barometer for what comes next? So it's a question that people ask me all the time. They ask anyone in our team, as soon as you say you work in YouTube culture and trends, of course, people are like, oh, so so what's big and what's going to be big? And I totally understand why why people would hope that we would be able to answer that. I think the thing that I appreciate most about YouTube is its unpredictability and that you actually have no idea what's going to be big next, which I know is a completely unsatisfying answer for you and your clients. But I think that's what makes it such a dynamic and rich and fascinating place to be. But if you do want to try and and keep in touch with, with that, I would say you're right that when something appears on the trending tab, sometimes you can feel like it's too late. It's not. It's really not. A lot of these trends stay around actually for quite a while. It depends on how quick you are to produce something. You don't want to have missed the boat. But trends do stay around for a while. I'd say the trending tab is a good place to go. When you go to Google Trends, you can um, look actually at YouTube in particular, which um, I think is a, is a really great way to see what on earth is going on. And you can go and look in different countries and it's fascinating and it's in real time. So it shows exactly what people are, are really into. There's also from a commercial perspective, there's a website called Think with Google, which has really good up-to-date articles about what's going on. There's a, a great newsletter that people can sign up to that's external called the YouTube Review, which um, again has like it comes out every week and it shows the biggest videos of that week. So there are ways of, of keeping on top of them, ways of predicting trends, I would say is far harder but i i don't think that's a bad thing i actually think that's what yeah makes the platform so vibrant in terms of like if if you wanted to increase the chances of your video trending and boost the numbers on that just in terms of discoverability what would you say brands should be uh, more considerate of just in terms of what's more influential between videos that get recommended to you and then search yeah the magic question everybody wants to know how to appear on the trending tab and what's cool about the trending tab is actually it's the kind of what we call the heat of the video that matters so it's not like you said there are these kind of vanity metrics that actually really count views of course count but it's how rapidly people are accruing those views so it might be that 
a video is in position one that has 50,000 views, but there's a position, there's a video in position three that has 15 million views. But actually, the, the one in the first position accrued those views much quicker. People are, are engaging a bit. It's about like the, the speed. I mean, just even in terms of like just getting your video found, I guess, not even getting to the part where it's on the trending page. Uh, which one should, should they be looking at? So, uh, again, it's hard. I mean, getting creating cuts through on a, a platform like YouTube is really tough when there's so much content up loaded all the time i think it depends on what it is if it is an ad and it's a really good ad and it's good enough people will be sharing it and you've got a chance of appearing there if it's just a piece of content and it's not kind of time specific like people there's not that sense of people have to see it right now then you've got less chance in terms of search like people do find things of course by searching on on youtube but you're right that there's a big element that comes from the recommendations that are made to you but again that's very personal on your on your viewing behavior but that that's a good thing for brands because actually that means that and the people who will have the recommendation of your video are going to be people who have a propensity to like the kind of content that you've made Mm. so it's like a ready-made filter of finding a a potential engaged audience which i think is is great if i were a brand i'd love that um but yeah to try and be found and try and elevate your your message in any way that you can is really hard but and this is so so unsatisfying to you and i'm so sorry but i keep saying it if you make something good enough people will find it like they they really will when i say good enough it just means that people will enjoy it it doesn't mean good enough in terms of it's long enough it's high enough quality blah blah it's Mm. just if there's something in it that um, people can connect with it will work yeah I think the nice thing about YouTube as well is that there is something for absolutely everyone on that platform so right for people who want to make content you know you are going to find your audience there if you make the right thing you really are I mean there there is just everything on there in in just such an amazing way like the time that it really struck me the most was when I was telling my daughter about once upon a time back in my youth I spent a few months living in Brazil and I joined this drum troupe which was really fun and I used to play drums in this group and it was amazing and and she asked me well what kind of music was it and so I went to look on thinking there's no chance in hell I'm gonna find this anyway so I went to, to look on YouTube for this particular drum troupe from a little village in northern Brazil. And unbelievably, there was lots of content showing like this this troupe playing, showing the different instruments, like some of the people who played in it having interviews. I could not believe it. But for me... It's it was- amazing. I think it doesn't actually surprise me at all because every time I go to find something so niche, it's there. But that's it. And so, and then you actually realise that it's a bit of a naff, but it's a real phrase that we use internally of like never has niche been more mainstream and it's true like what you think is your like your little thing actually you find that you're part of a community and that can be really yeah really interesting no definitely i think that's a really good place to end it on yeah certainly uh i mean thank you very much roy we've we've covered the breadth and length of uh youtube and everything (laughs) included within it and also definitely your your comments on one there being something for everybody and two the uh importance of not trying to always gamify and hackify everything but just making good content so like hackify that's a good word (laughs) (laughs) word i just made up well uh 
we'll wrap it there. But Roya, thank you ever so much for joining us for this, uh, no, you know, what's been an insightful no. conversation. Thank you guys so much for having me. And I, I apologize if I just rambled um, about it all, but I genuinely do love YouTube. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love to see people who are passionate about their jobs. We love it. Good. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Theo Watts, Eve Young, and produced by Ollie Thompson. 